we begin a series of messages designed to help us know how to handle situations that come along in life. How do I handle this? How do I handle this problem, this situation, this thing I'm going through? Now, you say, well, what you're saying work in any situation. And I say, yes, I believe it will. Now, you may you have different situations because we are different people. And I thought about when Brother Gary was talking about cookie cutters, I thought about that Loretta and God works a lot the same way. She's got sacks and sacks of different kind of cookie cutters. And I mean, sometimes she can make cookies and not a one of them be the same. So she's got them. So if you ever need any cookie cutters, I know where you can get them at, all right? So there's plenty of them. But even though we're different, we have different problems, different situations and things that come along. You see, teenagers, young people have different problems they deal with than adults do. Girls have different problems than boys. Boys have different problems than girls. Children have different problems than parents. So regardless, we all have different problems, but folks, there's a common solution to these things. And so this is what we want to share with you and help you understand. Everybody has difficulties and circumstances that they have to deal with in life regardless of who they are. It may be your spiritual relationship with God. It may be some kind of family situation, somebody at work, somebody at school, something going on physically in your body. But regardless, if you'll follow and what I'm laying out to you, beginning last Sunday and these next two or three weeks, I believe it will help you. Now, I can't solve your problem for you, okay? If I could... I'd, I'd set me up a booth and I'd charge $25 an hour to solve your problem for you. But I can't solve your problem for you. I can give you help. I can give you encouragement. I can give you instruction. I can counsel you. Well, let me tell you something I found out over my years of pastoring. Very few people that come for counseling really want true counseling. There's some people that do. There's some people that listen to what you say, and, man, they'll go put that right to work. But there's other people that all they want you to do is agree with them. Agree with them that they're right, especially if it involves somebody else. You know, I'm right. I want you to tell me I'm right. i got a problem with that kind of counseling. I don't do that. If you're wrong, I'm going to tell you. Okay? So that may cut down on you coming to me, but I don't want you to be feel like you're right in every situation that comes along I want you to be able to come out of that situation. And when you come out of that situation, you'll be right. And here, here's the thing about it. You may be right, but if you're not working through that, you become wrong. Okay? Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Main things in there, rain descended, floods came, winds blew, and the rock. You've got to remember that. And then who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, same rain, floods came, same floods, and winds blew, same winds, 
and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And the reason was is because it was not founded on the rock. The rock is the Word of God. Now, there's no way that we can make it in our Christian life without going back to the Word of God. We think in our mind, well, I can do this or I can do that. And, and, and we need to keep our mind open to the move of the Spirit of God and what God is saying to us. But, folks, it's got to come back and be, be founded on the Word of God. If not, the least problem will get so big till it blows us down. So we've got to be on the rock. Amen? Remember, the presence of problems or the lack of problems does not determine your spirituality. I've heard folks say, man, I must really be doing something right because the devil's really hard after me. Well, that's not a clue. The devil is doing everything he can to deceive you, to devour you, to pull you down all the time. Whether you're right or wrong, he's working to destroy you. And we need to realize that. But here's the thing about it, too. Uh, people say, well, boy, I tell you what, God's really putting me through this test, so I'll come out on the other side. Now, we need to qualify those tests that God puts us through, okay? We need to, we need to put a qualifying thing on that because there's things that you do through your own absence or through your own neglect. And, and I hesitate to say this word, but bear with me, and it may not fit everybody, but it may just fit me, okay? But through your own ignorance, things happen. That's like somebody saying, man, I tell you what, I'm so in debt, God, I wish you'd do something. And God is saying, well, quit using the plastic. Quit running up bills you can't pay. If you want me to help you, stop. God didn't put you in financial difficulties in so many times. We put ourselves there. See, we can't, we can't deny that problems exist and try to escape from them. You remember I said that some people escape through, they just deny it. They deny the problem exists. They, they try to get out of their problem by turning to, to drugs or alcohol or, or pornography or a lot of other problems that they put themselves into to try to get out of the problem that they're in by just simply denying it. See, but here's the thing about it. i got good news for you. We can acknowledge the problem, and we can handle it. Now, there's the important thing that we need to realize. To handle a problem, we need to identify the players. We talked about that. Number one's God. You've got to take it to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. All of our circumstances and situations. He said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. You remember we ended with that verse in Psalms last week that said that we throw all of our burdens and anxieties on Him and He takes them? So we, we come to realize that. Now, uh, we've got to understand who God is and then understand God's on our side. Now, I'm trying to get to my message. I, this is preliminary stuff. Y'all heard it before. Many times, things get us down because we're not secure in who we are. Last Sunday, Pat, in his devotion, used the Scripture in Matthew chapter 22. Would you put Matthew chapter 22, verse 37? They came to Jesus and they asked Him, What's the greatest commandment? And so, Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all, or with all your soul and with all your mind. Luke says, in all your strength. And then he said, verse 38, he said, this is the first and great commandment. Then he said, the second is likened, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now what this is telling us right here, we've got two areas of love that we're to do, but also, I want you to notice something. We've got to recognize God first. That's what he's saying by love God above everything else. Number one, we've got to recognize God first. If there's a physical problem with me, I need to recognize God and look to Him before I do Dr. Mashburn or Dr. whoever, right? Recognize God first. There's nothing wrong with the doctors. Y'all, y'all I'm not going to go there and preach there this morning because y'all know how we, we feel about that. We believe God's a healer and He uses instruments and it can be a doctor. It can be a nurse, but the thing about it is God gets the glory for it. So in everything, we recognize God first. All of our love and all of our desire and admiration goes to God. But then he said, here's two other things that we need to recognize. He said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And then he qualifies that as you love yourself. A problem that a lot of folks have is that they're not secure in who they are and they don't love their self. Like Brother Gary said, they try to be somebody else. And we can't be anybody else because we're us. So I've got to learn how to love me where I am and with what's going on in my life. I've heard people say, well, man, I just don't love me. I mean, look at all this stuff I have going on and all these problems i got. I don't love me. Well, can I say this to you without offending you? Maybe the problems you have and the circumstances you have come about because you don't love you. You see yourself less than who God sees you. You see yourself as, as not fitting in and not being good enough and, you know, and, and, and things like that. You, you see yourself as, I'll never get past this. This is always going to be in my life. This will always be here. But let me tell you something, folks. God does not see us that way. And we've got to begin to see ourselves in a different manner and a different way than what we've been seeing ourselves. See, we need to work on us more than on others. If so-and-so, if they would just quit doing that, I would not be doing this. No, you, you can't do that. We've got to come to a point where I, I work on me more than I work on Gary. I work on me more than I work on Bill. I work on me more than I work on my wife. So many times, husbands and wives want the other one to change and them stay the same. And, and that's called selfishness because, folks, let me tell you something. I found out a long time ago in mine and her relationship, it's not her that's got the problems, it's me. Now, she feels the same way. Okay. Thank you, dear. She feels like that it's not me that's got the problem with her. What, what I'm saying is this. I work on me. She works on her. And we work together. You see what I'm saying? If it's somebody at work, let me tell you, I have found out that if you'll begin to work on you and become the loving person that God intended for you to be, those people around you will begin to feel different about you. And not only that, you'll begin to feel different about them. But you've got to work on you. So that's what we want to do this morning. We want to work on us. Let me ask you this question. Can you believe what God says about you? 
You believe God, don't you? God's all truth. The Bible says that God, there's no lie with God. God just cannot lie. He will not lie. God has said it. He'll do it. If He's spoken it, He'll surely bring it to pass. God cannot lie because He will not lie. And what we're going to talk about this morning for the next little bit is what God has said about you, what He said about me. Now, now years ago, I used to be the works critic on me, and I still am to some extent. But I brought that back down to understand, hey, I don't have to be so tough on me because that's not me. So many times we let our past and we let what other people say about us define how we act and react and who we are. We should, not, we should never let what anyone says define us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Just between me and Him alone. Okay? Now, you know, here, here's, here's where I want to go. I want to go to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. I want to talk about something that's a little bit familiar to us here for a little bit. But I want us to see a young man that did not have a high opinion of himself. He didn't even have a high opinion of his family name. You ever, you ever wish you could have been in somebody else's family? It had a different name? Have you ever, ever felt that way? Well, let me tell you something. If you're a child of God, you're in the family that counts. And that's the family of God. Brought in there through the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been adopted. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But in, in uh, Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, that's a hard word to say, and Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, they were having to hide. The Midianites had come in to this land of Israel, and they would come all the time. And it just so happened that they had the children of Israel had been servants to them for seven years at this point in time. Well, they would come every year at harvest time. They'd come, bring all their donkeys, bring all their camels. And the Scripture says back up in that that they would come without number. Now, I'm going to tell you, that, that's a whole lot of folks, isn't it? You know, just a number. That would be like if you were to go to one of these big college football games where they got these big packed, jam-packed kind of stadiums. Now, somebody knows how many is there. But if I go look at that and I look out across that and I think, man, these people here without number. That's what he's talking about, more than anybody counted. And they came and they, they would tread down the wheat, all the grain, till the children of Israel had actually come to the point where they had nothing to eat. And so this young man, Gideon, had gone out. Probably I, I, I can see him going out on the cover night because fear had defined him and had aligned him into a life of, of hiding and being in darkness. And so many people fit that category today. Or you may walk around in the daytime, but inwardly you're hiding and there's darkness that's taking place in your life. So he, he went out, he got this wheat, and he came in, and he went in wine press or to the place where the, the, he couldn't be seen, where nobody could see him, and he began to thresh out this wheat. He was grinding it. Now here came the angel of the Lord. In verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> Here's the youngest guy in this family 
of Manasseh. And, you know, I, I did a little study on Manasseh, and I, I, I thought back. He, Manasseh, was the oldest son of Joseph, and he was born in captivity, or not in captivity, he was born in Egypt. There was Manasseh, and then there was Ephraim. Well, years later, when uh, Jacob came and was there as an old man, he was blessing all of his sons, and so Joseph brought his two boys. He wanted him to bless them. Now, according to, to the tradition, the oldest son got the firstborn blessing. And he, his blessing was two-thirds, and the rest of it went to the other ones. So here come Manasseh, he's the oldest, and brother Ephraim standing beside him. And when Joseph went, um, Jacob rather, went to bless them, he reached out his hand, his right hand, and put it on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh's. And Joseph said, no, 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 Dad, that, that's not the right way. That's not right. Here's the, here's the firstborn. He gets the firstborn blessing. And Jacob said, no, Ephraim gets it. Now, can you imagine Manasseh standing here? He, he became a great nation. He became a great people. But he didn't get the blessing he was due for some reason, and God only knows. So here's the youngest man in a family that didn't get their blessing they were supposed to get. Had a family name that was sort of not up to par with all the rest of them because of that. And the angel of the Lord told him, said, You're a mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. Now, that term, mighty man, means a hero. A champion. Most unlikely person that you could ever imagine being a hero. And, and being a champion, a leader. And, and I can just picture Gideon saying, got the wrong guy. The term valor means strength. And so, he, a force. And he was saying to him, Gideon, if you'll just listen to me, you're going to be a force that the Midianites are going to have to reckon with. I'm here to tell you this morning, every one of you, young and old alike, important to God. You're somebody. He loves you. Don't, don't think about your family name and who you are and what family you grew up in and, and all of that kind of thing. Think about what He's done for you and who He's made you. This is the thing that I want you to get in you today. See, you may never run through a troop and leap over a wall like David did. But folks, there needs to be somebody that can carry armor. There needs to be somebody that can play the, blow the trumpet. There needs to be somebody that can sharpen the swords. What I'm saying is this, the whole group of us, every one of us, is important in the kingdom of God. And you're important in this church also. Remember that. You're important to Jesus. So he said to Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And, and he said, uh, and Gideon said, verse 13, that, that, now this just gets me. I want you to look at this. In verse 13 he said, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all His miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Have you ever noticed that when people have problems and circumstances come up in life, 
when things happen, tragedy happens, God's the first one to get put on trial. You ever notice that? Well, why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God change it? Why did God allow them to do that to me? Why did, why did God allow my heart to get broke? Why did God? Why did God? Why? And see, that's what he said here. Listen to this. He said, if, why, where, did not. You see, he asked these questions. Instead of saying, hey, man, this sounds good to me. This is something I need to hear. He's standing here putting God on trial. And we do that a lot in our life too. Folks, you can put God on trial all you want to, but God's always going to come out shining like a star. Why? Because God's always right. We just need to find out where God's right at and take that into our life and then be right with God. Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. This might of yours? I don't have any might. Where where, would you get this? I've got any might. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Here's his might. Have not I sent you? I want to ask you a question this morning. When Jesus told those disciples in Matthew chapter 28, I'm with you always. Has he ever changed that? When you made Jesus Lord of your life, He came into your life to be with you always, as long as you live here on this earth. That gives you the right and the power to rise up above all of this stuff, all of these problems, and handle these situations and circumstances and and come out of those things. Folks, and, and, and you know, your heart may be broke for a while, but He's a mender of broken hearts. Your body may be hurt and sick for a while, but He's a healer of those things. But And here's the thing about it. We, we sang that song to begin this service, that His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. And I'm telling you today, His grace is more than enough to get me through every circumstance, every situation, every problem that goes on in this life. And folks, what I need to learn to do is understand that God loves me and He cares for me and He's bringing me through this thing. I need to begin to believe what God says about me. Well, so He said, Oh, my Lord... How can I save Israel? Verse 15. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. See, my family is the least in Manasseh. We're poor, we're broke. Oh, everybody. And I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the youngest in my father's house. You know, go get one of my brothers. It seems like that God's got this thing for young people. You know what I said? Seems like He's got this thing for young people. What was David? He was the youngest, wasn't he? What was Joseph? He was the youngest at that time. On and on you could go with that. Moses was the youngest because his brother and sister were older than him. He said, I'm the youngest in my family. He said, he said what can I do? And this here, listen, and the angel of the Lord said, Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. That's not one man. Does that mean that he's going to look like one man against all of this herd of people? No. But he was going to defeat the Midianites as though they were just one. What I'm saying to this, and folks, if you'll look at it through the eyes of God, your situation is not as big as you think it is. Those that are against you is not as many 
as those that are for you. Because God said, you'll defeat them just like there's just one of them. And later on, He did. But He took 300 men to go out against thousands and thousands and thousands, and they completely defeated them and ran them back out of the land of Israel. Folks, what I'm saying is this, is that Gideon came to the point to where he saw himself as God saw him. He heard it, he believed it, and he became that person. And I want to encourage you today to begin to do the same thing. See yourself as God sees you. Come out of that situation. See, Gideon believed it, he acted on it, and he became that. You know, I hear a lot of songs these days. And, I, of course, you know, I don't... And I, I listen to a lot of... Christian music, a lot of praise and worship music, and I love it. I I hear a lot of songs nowadays that talks about what God thinks about us, who God says we are. Songs like, this is just a chorus from a couple of those songs that one of them is Lauren Daigle, you say, it says, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. You say I'm helped when I'm falling short. When I don't belong, you say I'm yours. And I believe. Oh, I believe. What you say of me, oh, I believe. And then here's one by Hillsong. I am who he says I am. And this is the course. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I know all of us has heard those songs, and they're good songs. You need to listen to it. They're beautiful songs, beautiful voices that sing, beautiful music. But you need to listen to the words. Because so many times I think that we hear these songs, oh man, I love this song. I love this song. Why? Because it meets an emotional need for just a few minutes. And then we go back into the despair and the problem again. Hey, listen. Play that song over and over and over and over. You can go to YouTube and find it. And you can play it as many times. You can hit that button. You can play it. Because it talks about who you are. But here's the thing about it. I thank God that we can get a help for a few minutes in a situation. I need something for the long haul. After a while, I'm going to be away from that. I'm going to be away from my iPhone. I'm going to be away from this situation. That problem's going to come up. This thing's going to happen. And I need something for the long haul. I love to carry those songs in my head. But folks, I'm going to, I want to come to you now just for a few minutes. And I want you to look with me in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Something I saw early this week, and I've been reading this this way every day out of Ephesians chapter 1 because it is so mind-opening, spirit-opening. See, in the New Testament, and especially here in this passage, us is we, and we is made up of me. Got that? Us. And here is we. And we's made up of me. Now, I want you to understand something before we go into this. My relationship with the Lord is not all about me, okay? 
But let me, can I tell you this? Jesus made it all about me. He didn't die on the cross for him. He died on the cross for me. He didn't resurrect from the grave because of him or for him. He did it for me. And he's not coming back for him. But folks, he's coming back for me. Even though my relationship with him is not about me, me's included in it, and he's made it about me. You remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about heaven, how that heaven is all about Jesus, but then Jesus is making heaven all about us? Why did he do all of these things? He did it for all mankind, but me is part of that mankind. So when we look at these things and read it, I want you to understand something, folks. If you'll take the Word of God and begin to read it in the way that I'm going to share it with you this morning, especially these places, it'll begin to open your eyes about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, and what, here's what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is everywhere there's the word us, we, you, or our, I'm going to make it personal. Okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed me. He's blessed me. Every one of you need to point that finger at you and say, He's blessed me. You need to get up every day and look at yourself in the mirror and call yourself. Now, don't don't call you by my name. But I go there and I look and I say, David Carroll, God blessed you. He's blessed you. He's blessed you. And see, you can't claim my name over your blessing because you'd be trying to fit in my mold and it won't work. Okay? God's got a little bit different cutter for you. But look at yourself. I had thought once about getting a whole bunch of little mirrors and passing them out to everybody as I was sharing this message and have you to look at yourself and see yourself right there in your hand in that little mirror. You're blessed. We just need to wrap our head around it. People are like, man, they don't know my love, man. They don't know my care for me. Oh, I'm so outcast. I'm just so nothing. No, you're blessed. He has blessed, has blessed me with all spiritual blessings. But every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as He chose me in Him. Hey, he chose me. And as far as I was concerned, He chose me first. He chose me. He didn't wait to see if everybody else got selected, if there's anybody left over. He chose me. He chose you. Chose you. He didn't have to, but He did. He chose you. What did He choose you for? He chose us before the foundation of the world that I should be, I, should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestined me to adoption. Predestined me, He predetermined. He had a plan. And that plan was that one day there was going to be a young boy born into the Carroll family. And they was going to name him David. And that that young boy was going to grow up. And he was going to get in a lot of mischief. And he was going to go wayward. And he needed a Savior. And he planned. God planned on April the 2nd, 1969, in a motel room in Anaheim, California, a little motel called Santa Fe. 
in, that in that motel room in that at room number four in, in Anaheim, California, that he would show up and that Jesus would show up and say, I chose you. And I determined it before the world ever began. I didn't understand all of that then. I understand it now. But he determined before he made this thing that he was going to do something special for me. Can I tell you this? Everything special he's done for me, he's done it for you too. Everything. Adopted me into his family. I am a child of God. Because of what Jesus did, I am a child of God. I'm no longer an outcast. I'm no longer held down. I'm no longer a sinner. I am a child of God. He adopted me into His family. As sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to good pleasure of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made me accepted in the Beloved. Now I'm like Gary. Not everybody likes me. And I'm like him, I don't understand why. You know, they're lost. It's their loss, not mine. But I'm accepted in him. I don't have to prove anything to Jesus. You hear me? I don't have to prove anything to him to be accepted in him, to be accepted by him. This is all his grace. He chose to do this for me. And he said, Come here, son. When everybody else puts you down, whenever it looks like everything in life is against you, I accept you. And I love you. And I care for you. In Him, I have redemption through His blood. I couldn't redeem myself. I couldn't deliver myself out of sin. I could not any way whatsoever. You folks would not believe how many leaves I turned over a new leaf how many times I've turned over a new leaf before I finally made Jesus Lord of my life on that morning. As a, as a teenager growing up, and y'all folks can identify with this, man, you know, I'd go to church and, and I'd hear preaching and I'd determine, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. I'd make some stupid mistake and Daddy would have to get all over me. And, I'm going to be better, Daddy. I won't do that again. Usually that was after the stripes. But anyway, <laughs> surely I bore my stripes and carried my sorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be better. And it wouldn't be no time I'd do some stupid thing again. Y'all, y'all, can y'all identify with that? I couldn't stop it. I had to have Jesus to take care of it. And He took care of those things. Aren't you glad? I have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward me in all wisdom and prudence. I, I like the word abound here. It wasn't just a little dab. It wasn't just a little bit here, and it wasn't just enough to get me by today. Abound. And that carries the thought of it just keep going. Keep going. Like the, what is it, the Energizer uh, rabbit, he just keeps going and going and going and going. Folks, the grace of God's the same way. Having made known to me the mystery of His will, According to His good pleasure, which He purposed in His the mystery of His will. What are you talking about, Pastor? That was whenever I come to one day realize, Hey, Lord, how could You love me like I am? 
How could you have loved me the way that I did and the shame I brought on you and the shame I brought on my family and, and, and the disgrace I was as a human being? How? How could you love me? God said, that's my will. I chose to love you. He chose to love each one of you. When I don't feel loved, He says, you're loved. Think about that. Y'all getting anything out of this? I sure am. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together and want all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him, in Him also I have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Let me tell you something, folks. I may never have much stuff on this earth. Now, I thank God for what I've got. I know I've got more than a lots and lots of people do. But I'm happy with my house I got. My truck I drive is okay. I, I'm happy with that. And I may not ever accumulate much wealth. Many things that I can leave my children whenever we leave this earth. And that's an important thing. The Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and to his children's children. And it's important. I mean, it's okay to leave an inheritance. My name never be, may never be in lights, and I don't care whether they are or not. I have an inheritance. Hmm. An inheritance in heaven that moth can't get into and eat and rust cannot corrupt. i got a mansion that's secure. I've got a home in heaven, folks. I have an inheritance. And it's not just for me to enjoy when I get to heaven, but it's now. I have an inheritance now. I have the name of Jesus. I have the blood of Jesus on my life. I have the power of God working in me. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. Folks, I'm telling you, I am rich beyond any comparison of earthly riches that there may be. I am so rich in Him because He's lavished it on me that billions and billions and billions and billions would not even come to begin to understand the inheritance that we have in Him. You can't put it in earthly totals. This is who I am. I have an inheritance. I don't go through life and talk about poor old me because, folks, I'm not poor old me. I may not have $100 to my name today, but I'm not poor. I may not have a penny in my pocket, but I'm not broke. I'm an heir to everything God has. Not only in this life, but in the life which is to come. I have an inheritance. Money can't buy it, and you can't take it away from me. Think about that. And it'll never go to debtor's court, and it'll never be foreclosed on. Glory to God. I've got an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, now, not only in this life, but in the life which is to come. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I would not trade my life with Jesus 
to trade places with anybody on the face of this earth. Why? Because I know in whom I am. I know in whom I have believed. I'm His. He's mine. And He has given me an inheritance. Thank you, Lord. Verse 12, that, that I, who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of His glory. In Him I also trusted after I heard the word of truth, the gospel of my salvation, in whom also, having believed, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Who is the guarantee of my inheritance hmm. until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? Hallelujah. You are who He says you are. You're redeemed. You're blessed. You're His child. You have a possession. You have a position. You have everything you need to make it through this life. Folks, we can hold our head up and we can put our chest out a little bit and we can walk through this life knowing that I'm a child of God. And I'm not saying this to try to build you up and make you think you're better than anybody else. Folks, let me tell you something. I don't feel like I'm better than anybody. But I know I'm a child of God. And that's what counts to me. Earthly names, possessions, and positions does not matter to me anymore. What matters to me is my relationship with Jesus Christ because in that, I can handle every problem that comes in my life. What about you today? Where do you stand in your relationship with Jesus? Are you right with Him? Could you honestly read this in in Ephesians chapter 1 and put we, me, in place of these things? If not, then you can today. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, You can fit into this Scripture today. You can be here. Why? Because He's chosen you. Let me tell you, He didn't choose me when I got saved April 2nd, 1969. He chose me before the foundation of the world. And He didn't just choose me. Remember I said everywhere, I said me, you got it too. If you're not right with God, if you're not where you need to be and your life is a mess, I'm here to tell you, He can take care of it and He can change that for you. Bow your heads with me just now.